0: Hi everyone, I'm Dalen, Founder and Design Educator at Curious Core. Welcome to our Working in UX Design podcast series, where we interview a UX design leader in the industry on their experience in this emerging field. We've had UX professionals from Grab, AirAsia, Google and more join us previously, and we're bringing you more exciting interviews this year. Stay tuned for this week's interview with our special guest who is working in UX design. So good evening, everyone. Welcome to another session of working in UX design. Today, we have a special guest, Sin with us uh, this evening. And she is going to be sharing more about her career journey becoming a senior product designer, most recently with Stripe. So she has been uh, in the UX and UI field for over 13 years solving user problems both on the government side as well as on the commercial side so she's a very very experienced uh, person and we'll be hearing more from her additionally she also has experience in software engineering and front-end development that has also helped her become a better designer and a more competent uh, I would say UX engineer so some of her projects you might have experienced includes her working for GovTech and open government products in Singapore such as parking.sg redeem.sg and uh, the CDC voucher schemes if you've been using the CDC to redeem vouchers uh, that's also part of her work so today we'll be covering more on uh, her work in government in commercial her career journey from being a game artist to a product designer and she's also affected by the recent tech layoffs so that's uh, something we'll talk about as well uh, but in any case uh, welcome to the show Isin.
1: thanks for having me Dylan. thanks for inviting me this is my first time doing a podcast so like super excited in a uh, live stream <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really glad to have you here this evening. And uh, we have with us a very, very international crowd, uh, including people from Singapore and the rest of the world uh, this time. So maybe we can start off, since our theme tonight is about bridging tech and design, uh, maybe we can start off by having you share with me a little bit more, like why did you pick up coding?
1: I think I have to start like way back. As a child, I've always been interested in making stuff. Then like the avenue for doing that is maybe playing Lego or like doing art itself. So my background was I studied art in school and then art animation. Then my first five years of my career was making games. And then I realized that like I was inclined to the more utilitarian side of things. How can I bring everything together? How to make it interactive, Uh, how to make it intuitive versus like, making it for entertainment sake, for storytelling, character development, things like that. So, like, I wanted to create stuff that, like, help people do their work or accomplish their task without even them knowing. So, like, I really enjoy those kind of interfaces that does it with a lot of, like, great feedback, but the user don't even realize that they completed their task. So, like, in order to do that, a lot of times when, when I design, or, like, you have research and mock-ups will always just remain in, in your design file if they don't get implemented by the engineers. And it's a, really a challenge to like, oh, I don't Uh, if they say the engineer say, no, it can't be done or like it's done this way because then they will start rambling all the technical stuff that I I don't understand. Then it's hard to arrive at the point where, okay, can we find a good outcome where we can still achieve what the user needs and yet it's implementable, it's feasible. So like because of this challenge, trying to translate this vision into a, a build that people can use and enjoy using, then like I started dabbling in code and then like, from design to code itself, it's it's very challenging because like, oh, and then uh, people will tell you, oh, you start HTML, CSS but those are not real code and and you get confused by JavaScript and you bounce here and you bounce there, like it's really hard to follow. So the turning point I think was, I decided to go for a three month bootcamp with General Assembly and then that's where like I really appreciate the community like all around the the learning curve, everyone is around the same so you can learn from them, learn with them you have the same question and then you tackle it together so that was the turning point then after that that was about three three years plus ago and then after that like it became easier to like do doc- tutorials on my own to just experiment different type of like react or like front end all the different libraries much easier after that the one thing to help translate this vision and I often see like designers that I look up to those that can create very detailed or like very uh, with animation or very clear database, they tend to be able to code. So I wanted to be like them, then that's why I started doing code.
0: Well, thank you for sharing and uh, what a journey that has been being able to do so many of these things and also pursue your passion on the site. Out of curiosity, do you actually pay for the course yourself or did you get a company to sponsor you to learn code?
1: They have, uh, it's part of the subsidy where the government will help subsidize, but I managed to convince GovTech to, because I'm an employee and then they, they say government is not entitled to this subsidy. I'm still an employee then. And so, like, I managed to convince GovTech to pay the full sum, but then I, I end up like, paying back in terms of a year bond
0: yeah i think we we can definitely learn a few things on how how do you convince your stakeholders <laughs> uh to sponsor your course if you would like to elaborate on that like how do you persuade them that this is like actually relevant to your job back then at GovTech, where you were you were only a ux designer
1: I think the environment itself was also very encouraging to people to like want to do cross-disciplinary stuff to in order to gain empathy. And like, for example, product managers are also encouraged to go learn code. And then all of us are supposed to take like Harvard CS50 to to, to, to get like amount of understanding of tech so that we are able to collaborate much better so I think there is already the environment the motivation and then it's it's more of like in terms of time how can I allocate like three months full time and go away like leaving my project teams behind and do that so that was more of a challenge like really have to quickly do up I had a couple of interns who helped me out I hand over the project and then just check in regularly other than that like The three months was super busy trying to learn new stuff.
0: That's really great. And um, I'm glad you learned CS50 from Harvard (laughs) Business School, which is a free course. I definitely recommend it to everyone. Didn't manage to finish it myself, but super enlightening just going through a few lessons on on that. Just if you are working with engineers, that is the course to, to learn because that really helps you to understand how they think. That's amazing that you did that. How does knowing code help you become a better designer?
1: My first few projects was pretty data heavy, so I was working on my my first project in the government was working with data scientists, and then we were trying to like uh use EasyLink data, the tap in and the tap outs to see like where to run mini buses. So like the data part of stuff, and then they start talking about uh bus routing, the algorithms, and then like it's all very exciting. I felt like building SimCity, but then I couldn't really design effectively if I don't understand how it works. The idea was to build a tool for our civil servants to be able to plan these routes or like where to put lifts or where to put your traffic light that that helps the old people. All these tech terms became like black boxes. What is backend? What is API? What is uh, latency? And then like, it's just really hard to be able to design effectively if I didn't know that. So rely a lot on like keep clarifying and like i said earlier like there's always this gap and then what i design is not really effective and then don't get translated so like you a lot of wasted effort in that sense so that's how it got me started and then after that i had more data platforms and then understanding how how to make internal government share more data and then like permissions authorization things like that like Became very heavy. So having that understanding of how tech works can help you design this kind of tech heavy products. That's one. The other one is when you start discussing, you are able to participate in more of the product, give input from the product perspective and as well as like, okay, I think the user won't understand all these tech terms. You become the bridge as well. Engineers, they they are super smart, they want their are code to work, but like when it comes to how exactly doing the UI, if you can't explain it to them, then they also can't do a good job. So like there's a bit of convincing. So if you use their language, you gain their empathy, use their language. It will be a much smoother journey. The other thing I can think of is, earlier on, if you are doing like research or discovery with your PM, and the engineers are not involved, and you go to your stakeholders and they ask you, oh, is this doable? Is this feasible? And then if you do not understand how it works, it's very hard to answer that question or like how to come up with ideas in a way that can satisfy to solve that problem, and yet the team is able to implement it.
0: I really like some of your points over there, and I think I think he, it started with a very, I would say, a frustration, but then it ended up being like something that you really like and and that you enjoy. And I think this is really interesting that you also have your side hustles and the the fun uh coding projects that you did maybe you can talk a little bit about some of these like experiments that you did like color husband you know lost for words or redeem admin in 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 react what made you kind of like want to do some of these projects
1: so like for example the redeem admin in react I was working with the intern was helping me out in for building the admin. And then the intern is also new in front end. and and So like they they couldn't do the CSS. They understand like how the data, the API, all those stuff, they understood. But then when it comes to like the actual like elements, try and make it fall in a table, this is the layout. And then like, it just didn't fall into place. And then for me was, can I? try and learn React and then support them in that way so that at least we have something that is usable for the user. So like, I I did this, I can do the responsive stuff, the CSS stuff, and then they can do the functional side of things. And then we just try and find a way to like cobble this thing together. Yeah. And then uh, Lost Forwards was something I did in GA. It's just a game, like it was our first project because we just learned JavaScript, vanilla JavaScript. And yeah, it was quite fun building that. Then Color Husband is my like latest experiment. I've always like felt like color choosing is relying on some external palette and then you generate and then you don't really know what all the different selection means. And then there's a lot of numbers. It, I can't really choose. There's a lot of... Then after that, you 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 guesstimate in Figma where to choose, not in relation to the rest of the shades. So I wanted something that can choose in relation to like or step 100 200 they are all like follow some sort of a curve or need more contrast things like that
0: this is uh something you can just experiment and uh once again her website it's rtlope.com. actually someone was just asking the audience why do you why do you call your website rtlope?
1: initially the idea was i i like antelope because i think they're very elegant and then they can jump very high and then uh and yeah, it's just an aspiration thing. Like I wanted my designs to be nice and elegant and works well and effective.
0: Instead of calling it uh, antelope, you, you call it artelope instead like
1: of art background, like like from my art beginnings. But i also not very sure. I thought about like changing names as well, like something more direct, just like ayx.com. I tried to buy thing.com couldn't find couldn't buy it, someone bought it.
0: <laughs> uh well you're you we'll settle with it. I mean, most people, most portfolio websites I've seen is usually the name of the designer. Yeah. But yours is quite unique. And maybe even like uh, memorable, right? Because it's not a very common name. Thanks for sharing the context and also some of your uh, experiments that you have done. When you were applying for a company like Stripe, did these, like, these skills, did these kind of experiments play a part in helping you secure a job in one of the top Silicon Valley companies in the world?
1: I think the portfolio, being able to have control over my portfolio, how I want it, how I want the interactions to happen, the way I lay out it. uh, If I click this part of the website comes out like, like, if you rely on some external tool, sometimes you you can't get it the way you want it if you don't have that understanding of code. So I think it played a part, but like, did I use any of those skills within the work itself at Stripe? No, Uh, at Stripe, everyone is very specialized. So like, there are people who really specialize in making the Stripe website look very cool. And like everything move and there's animation, like very specialized. They are in the core platform teams in the US. And then my role at Stripe was more of like specifically, how can I make uh, disputes less frustrating, make refunds less frustrating. So most of my time, it's really spent on like leveraging on the design system that already exists and come up with interfaces and work user flow that makes sense to solve those problems so it's not so much about like how can i come up with my own react component and then like take take the job of engineers no like i can't do that they are very strict about like who can commit code as well so like i didn't get to do that i was doing more prototyping design at aws uh i I spent one year at aws they they like the idea of like me being able to come up with Code my own stuff, design system and react. But turns out the projects that were allocated to me at that point in time was a lot more early in the like phases, in the development phase, was a lot of discovery, a lot of trying to understand a problem with the stakeholders. So I ended up doing more like research, more user interviews, more storyboarding, workshops. I didn't even really get to do like prototyping in that sense They like the idea, they like that I can do this stuff But like I didn't get to use it at work
0: You know what they call you in the Valley, right? You're, you're known as a unicorn Not like as a human. startup unicorn But as like skilled labor kind of like unicorn, right? Someone who can code, someone who can design That's very, very rare So I think that's, that's the idea over there um, but talking about Amazon, talking about Stripe. I'm uh, sure, you heard about the layoffs in in the general tech sector, and I also understand Stripe also did a did a reduction in headcount, and you mm. were affected by it. Mm. Um, so just wanted to understand, you know, from your perspective, you know, how did it felt as a as someone who is personally affected by all this change in the industry at the moment?
1: At first, it came as a shock, but like. Go, go back, think about it. It's not that shocking because I was supposed to work on like APEC stuff, like work with APEC teams on APEC features. But when I joined, there was VEOC. uh, de-prioritization of APEC, I was uh, assigned to uh, US teams. So I could have taken that as a sign, but internally, like during those like, uh, all hands meeting there was no hints at all like we, we were still talking about oh, this week we signed uh, which companies which uh, our revenue and things like that so like there was no hint from that angle and so like I got the news at 11 p.m Singapore because they announced it US time early in the morning I got to know about it because my co-worker my, my friend colleague uh, messaged me you disappeared from slack what happened and and um and then I'm like, not sure, maybe it's some connection problem tomorrow, I'll fix it. No, you really disappeared. So like I went to check my email. That's when I saw like, oh, your role is being made redundant and this is, and they immediately log us out of, of all the systems, all the admin, all those stuff. I lost all my docs. So like the first thing I worry about is like, oh my god, my Figma file, can I still get it?
0: Hang on, you, did you mean they they fired you through an email?
1: Yes, there was no like...
0: There's nobody talking to you and say, hey, yeah. you know, uh, you've seen you've been made redundant. No. How does that feel? Like the fact that you you didn't even receive any notification from another human being.
1: It was a very remote role because I was working with a US team. So like everything was via all these asynchronous methods anyway, like channels. So like it's not surprising that it came via email. And before that, there were a few smaller companies who were already doing layoffs. A bit shocked, but like not, not entirely, more like worried and sad.
0: I just feel you're taking it so well because like I recently read an article that the same happened at Google. And people were making a huge fuss over it because it's so dehumanizing, right? Getting fired over email instead of like actually telling you what what is happening and even explaining why. Did the email explain why they are making the cut?
1: No, no. It was like, just sorry. And then it was the CEO. It was the CEO letter that, that was public. So you can like go see it as well. The founder's email. And then I guess that like... I was from Amazon before that, and Amazon didn't feel like a very, maybe it's not the place to say this, but I didn't feel very valued as a star, as an employee. Like the environment was just like what people talk about in a lot of the emails and a lot of the articles. So I already maybe trained up a bit of my expectation at AWS. (laughs)
0: It almost seems like it's a Silicon Valley thing. Um, But I I certainly hope that things are a lot more, a a lot better on our side. So let's elaborate on these layoffs because I know you're not the only one affected, right? Mm. So there were also friends, there were also colleagues uh, that were affected. Do you have any... Tips or do you have any messages that you want to share? I know you uh, recently rebounded back, like you Mm. you you got yourself a new role very very quickly. So do you have any tips for people who got laid off? You know, like how how should they rebound?
1: I haven't mentioned to the rest of the people on the call, but I'm going back to open government product in the part of GovTech, and that was where I worked for like six years before I joined AWS. I think I could go back because I really. Of course, we should never ever burn any bridges. Even if you're already tender, never ever burn bridges. That's one. Those are like great friends. I kept in touch with them all the time, uh, even after I left. Like uh, catch up, like what's happening? Like what are the fun projects you guys are doing? I really miss that place. So it it was never like I'm never ever going back. There's a saying in Chinese that says like which means a good horse never go back to eat the the grass that you left. And I thought about that for a very long time. Like there's so much opportunities or like I could explore, like just try some startup or like, but I asked myself like the, the kind of environment and the kind of insights that I got from Big Tech, can I bring it back to OGP? I really enjoyed that place. So I decided to go back Because I still feel strongly about The project is very varied You keep learning new things anyway And I kind of need that Like try after AWS After the layoff
0: It sounds like you really really feel like you belong and also for context for our foreign friends over here uh, who are listening in OGP is uh, part of the prime minister's office am I correct yes yes Yes. so it actually reports uh, directly to the prime minister's office and so-called is also one of the departments that create very game-changing type of projects within the government uh, tech sector so apparently I hear I don't know whether this is true I hear only the best of the best from GovTech gets to join them. It's a really, really difficult place to enter and you you have, and it's very, very competitive internally. So knowing that you have rebounded, I'm very happy for you. Uh, but there are also other designers or even like uh, people in the tech sector who are affected by these layoffs. I'm sure you were shocked, right? And as you were processing this, I wondered, did, do you have any strategies, any tips uh, for them if they're still kind of like trying to walk out of this phase? Right, mm. uh where they're affected by the tech layoffs.
1: I think I was I was lucky in that sense, like I got my portfolio at a state where like no matter like even if I never update my haven't my AWS and stripe latest work, I still have something to show, like my previous work. So like try and get get to a state where at the very least you have something to show something that's live that people can access without you like needing to share needing to panic and 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 do something about it i still panic because i needed to like uh, i think it's a normal designer thing oh no i need to update my my case study and and it's so much work and like (laughs) update presentation so much work and so like trying to get to that state it is very tough but it is very worth doing because once you have that, you have a place online that people can just go and, and see. And, and once you start networking on LinkedIn, like people always say, like, go LinkedIn network. And, and that's what I did. I like post about my layoff. And then my, my email is inside the strike layoff list. So people start like, oh, if they need someone like a designer, they found my website. And then they then I started making a lot of connect new connection via that route. So I met a lot of startups, met a lot of new people, even like they they learn, that's how we met as well. Like, Yeah, so like have that presence online to show that you are able to do your work on its own without you needing to like keep explaining.
0: I really like that advice and it is true. I I reached out to you first on LinkedIn when I saw the strike layoff. I was like looking through the list and I was like, oh, product designer. Let me go and connect with Yixin and see what's going on Uh, because we're always looking for instructors. So... Mm -hmm what you have suggested is a good strategy because I, I think most people would choose to just be more introverted after the day off. They'll be very harsh about it. In fact, I have a, a friend uh, who I used to work with and uh, she was very harsh about it. I didn't even know she was laid off until like mm. when, when I was talking to her and catching up with her. So she didn't actually share Oh, that she was affected by the tech layoff and all that so you went the opposite direction you mm. shared about it and i think a lot of people could empathize with your situation as well uh, and as a result of you putting yourself out there you actually got a lot more opportunities uh, so that is great uh, someone in the audience asked OGP feels like a very difficult place to enter is it very competitive within OGP itself
1: I grew up with the team. I was the first design hire on that team. When I joined, like it, it was still part of IDA. And then there, through a series of expansion and then we all and stuff like that, I was like in OGP. When I left, it's about 50 people, six designers at that point in time. I feel like if I wanted to get into OGP, maybe... Uh, a few years after after that, I wouldn't be able to get in. Like I always feel like, oh my god, my, my there are all these people who just applied. Like their yeah, portfolio is much better than mine. Then it becomes like this motivation as well. Like the imposter syndrome is super strong. So over time, <laughs> I think the team also did better projects over time, and then we start to attract better people. And then you do feel the the need to like keep upgrading your skills, if not. It's not like, why are you hired in the first place? So I think that was also one of the reasons why I left. I was like so scared that I wouldn't, my skills wouldn't apply outside. I was six years in government and then like, I just needed to test myself.
0: And you did. You made it uh, to Amazon, one, one of the fan companies, uh, one of the top companies, tech companies in the world. And then after subsequently Stripe, which is a, a unicorn in its own right uh, and and. Providing financial infrastructure for all all transactions on the internet, right? Now that you've been on both sides of the pond, right? Mm. You've been working on the government side. You, you're working on the commercial side. Um, would you like to briefly explain what's the difference between mm. working on uh, with the government versus working f- for commercial businesses?
1: At OGP, the teams are really lean. Uh, maybe one of the project is one designer, one PM, and then like three to four engineers. Maybe some of the teams are bigger now, but like generally still under 10. So, uh, it's very easy to say, let's get together, discuss something, prototype something, and the communication overhead is not super high. Like, you are just okay, today we change direction, today we try something else. So like a lot of autonomy and ownership, uh, but we work with external, like other government agency and we get a varied spectrum on a, a like, health transport different kinds of project in that sense then you won't get so much structure you won't get so much like if you are trying to look for oh what's the best way of doing something what is the what's the right way of doing something is there tools and everything set up properly for you to do a b testing this 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 all the processes it's not there so it's very dependent on like you as a person who drive all this initiative and and then at stripe it's a lot more compartmentalized so like okay you're part of dispute and then you see the whole like UI, the dashboard stripe, right? So if I do this part, then I want to change the navigation. Then I need to start talking to the people on the on the NAV team. I need to start talking about the different teams who are in charge of all this. And the teams you don't even know who they are, but I get a lot more support in terms of like, okay, I don't need to worry about my English. I have content writer to 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 ask for help. And if I want like domain knowledge, legal compliance, I also need to like start connecting so like a lot more people to talk to but also means like maybe you spend one whole month just trying to come up with statuses and it needs to get approved there's a lot more approvals and because financial services is also regulated highly regulated yeah so that was stripe and then aws i think it's also the part of the team that i'm at i was i was doing consulting with helping our enterprise customer before they move to cloud how can we prototype something to solve the problems that they have so a lot of the culture of each of the team is dependent on the client that we are servicing so like if they are they have poor data um poor data quality or like there's too many stakeholders they don't know who is doing what then we will have to do it go with them try and navigate all this bureaucracy in itself AWS uh, just leave it to the team to try and solve all these problems. So you feel a lot like freelancer, but with a lot of like security uh, concerns and constraints,
0: Thank you for sharing like the structure and how your work and it's very very interesting to know of this uh sounds like ogp needs more help uh so when you when <laughs> you're in and if people want to join i think they should definitely reach out to you it's interesting that you spoke about how they function and also, i think it's also quite dependent on so-called the business unit and where the business is at depending on which organization it is so aws enterprise is enterprise solutions it's more mm. consulting uh, Stripe builds products, right? So you're working on a global product. So mm. it's, it's quite different as well. One difference I can identify is that definitely from the government side, you're working on a more local user base, yes. local context. Yes. Whereas uh, working with AWS or with Stripe, you'll be working on more like a global kind of like user base and, and, and different context itself. Do you see any other differences? Like if a designer wants to design for commercial versus designing for government, are there any other things that he or she should look out for?
1: I think the way to think about it is for government, it also depends on like, are you trying to make something for the citizen or is that too for public servants? So then the tax savviness is actually different. At the government, there is also the need for non-tax solution. Like what if the person doesn't have a phone? What if the person doesn't have Wi-Fi, no data? Then you need to have four bags for paper like when when it comes to vouchers. And then you need to come up with how can I work with the local uh, communities to to streamline their non-tech processes. But if it's for tools, then it's a lot more like B2P type of application, like SaaS solution type of uh, way of attacking something. Then for Stripe, uh, it's like for business owners as well as developers. So there is already a base level for uh, tech savviness. Uh, but there's a lot more to explain in terms of financial understanding so like in a sense you have to really understand the how it works from a business logic point of view Yeah, same as AWS, because we are building for enterprises. So the solution is like, I was working a lot on uh, Australia projects and uh, Australia, it's a lot of them are about like resource, oil and gas, energy. and, And so like very remote, what if there's no internet? There is still this kind of problems. Then in terms of impact, it's also measured quite differently. So like impact or metrics or usage. So for example for government stuff, you want them to save, go through something as fast as possible so that it's not, it's not like our commercial or like, Consumer type of product like uh, e-commerce or social media, you want them to like stay on the platform as much as possible. So how can we make streamline all this workflow so fast that they can just finish their thing and then not not come back and reduce the overhead in terms of support or more self-service, clearer communication. Yeah, so it's different in that sense compared to B two C.
0: What I learned and hear from what you shared is at the end of the day, you know, as UX designers, we we represent the voice of the customer. So it's still primarily the customer, the user yes. that we should place our focus on. I'm wondering, I mean, you're working from APAC on a global product like Stripe mm. uh, or you're working from Singapore for australia team were there any opportunities for you to like learn more about your users like for example did, did they fly you to the us or fly you to australia just to kind of do immersions and stuff like that
1: so for the australia projects we are like about three to four hours behind so i couldn't that point in time was still like covid a lot of covid travel restrictions but i get to talk with the for example people who work in mines so like schedule time but it's very hard to imagine the type of environment they work in and so I missed out a lot of like during the user, uh, user research phase I missed out a lot of like questions because I didn't know that they are on shift work and then they actually have to fly on small aeroplane and stay at the mining site for seven days and they miss their families and and that kind of context I didn't have it I just see them in Zoom and then they ha- they are in their meeting room maybe they are wearing their like mining suit like orange suit but it's a supervisor. So they are talking about stuff and I couldn't ask questions that is contextual to the things that I'm going to design. So like after that, then like after the fact, oh, oh, actually after doing this, that I found out more. After doing this part, I found out more. Very hard not being able to be down there to observe versus like here I just go down to a coffee shop, we test our vouchers, or like go and approach elderly and have them try out our vaccination, like sign up, like it's very different in that sense. And Stripe, uh, we had to like US time zone. So schedule calls with the US like business owners to talk about how can we improve this.
0: It sounds very like very, very different working style, but you still have to work with the constraints, mm. uh, COVID included in, mm. in this as well. Uh, but you made the best use of the situation. And definitely your your methods and your tools were a little bit more limited, if especially if you're working with a foreign user base and, and yeah. customers. Uh, but I'm glad you were able to still do your job and deliver on the design. So let's talk a little bit about your career. You mentioned you it's about art, right? And you started as a game artist. How did you end up in UX?
1: When I was doing games, I mean, tools during that time, this was like eight, nine years ago, maybe. Like tools during that time, I am still using Photoshop. A lot of, it takes longer to develop something. And I was super interested in the UI part of things. And I I always volunteer myself, to build a website. Like I was very interested in interactivity, but like I wasn't so sure about my skills to draw a cute character, to draw an environment, to tell a story. Like I wasn't very interested in those parts. I was more interested in the UI, the feedback, the, the interactivity of things. And for games, it's a lot about engaging people, entertaining people. And I didn't feel like I'm fun enough to do those things. So, so like I decided that maybe I should try out like, the more serious stuff, like the solving business problems, or like just try it out. And then I started... That was during the time when banks also started to be more user-centered. And then the more I see like, oh, they are trying to make banking easier for people. So I was very inspired by those things. And I thought like, oh, government was super hard to understand. I must solve it. (laughs) And the like government websites were very clunky. During that time, I I think they they were also hiring their first designer. So they don't really know what they want. And and I kind of like could do graphics. (laughs) And And so like we found a match
0: it's interesting you mentioned that because i i studied game design as well back in polytechnic and you are right to also share that it's a very different thing to optimize for right you're optimizing for people to stay in the game to get addicted to it to be engaged uh, whereas like some of the products you design for example the vouchers for the citizens of singapore uh, that the government has given away you just want people to redeem the vouchers as quickly as possible and mm. it's not about making it fun it's not about making it cute or anything like that uh so yeah it's 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 nice that you brought up that distinction and and i think career is also a process where you discover what you like along mm. the way right you won't get it right the first time around rarely anyone ever does mm. and it's like this journey where you just kind of like pivot and transform yourself super glad to hear that you were given the opportunity to kind of do that pivot on GovTech I believe that was a you were quite early in joining Guff Tech yep. at that point in time yep. right so
1: there wasn't even like the GDS team yeah. yet yeah every every team was like very tiny and trying to like oh God, still trying to figure out how to do a, a a government project not in three years
0: the thing about working with big enterprises or the uh, or a thing about working with government sometimes it's 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 a it's that long timeline to see your product yes. out there i think we have another question from the audience uh, after you finished your coding course how did you continue to polish your coding skill as a product designer
1: Just now I mentioned I was working with intern and then like there was uh, no one doing the UI, uh, the front-end side of things. So I just try it out. Then always volunteering myself for static sites, like those that don't need too much data. So you get used to like setting up a project for for CSS, for at at the very least I can do HTML and, and all those things, like just keep practicing. Then I tell the engineer, you just pick whatever is useful to you. Like, I don't mind you delete the code, it's okay. And and for me, I also start to get used to the idea of like, maybe I can design in in code. Because if things I design just stays in Figma. Of course Figma and all this design software, super useful, come up with different variations, very helpful. But like after some time, if people don't refer to it, it also become this like stale. And if they don't implement it, just stays there. So very wasted. So like how can I help bridge all those gaps? So a little bit of tiny opportunities to try things out. And I think at OGP we also have this thing called hackathon. So like during hackathon you can like work on your own project or like switch roles, <laughs> try something out. So, like, also take the opportunity to do more code. After AWS, when I was very involved in all the research, yeah, I, I, I was uh dying to work on design and building. So, when after the, the, the Australia time zone stuff, I'll practice my design and code stuff. Like, not easy, but... I think have to force, have to find pockets of time to do those things. A lot to learn, like even for design, like so much to learn. How do you run a workshop? How do you do research? How do you like the the amount of things you need to learn is just crazy.
0: I mean, that makes you like kind of like a Swiss army knife, right, Uh, designer. Mm -hmm. You can code, you can design, you can run workshops, uh, you can go and convince stakeholders. Uh, Makes you more versatile, makes you more hireable as well. And talking about hireable, someone is very interested to join GovTech, uh, but only has a diploma. So... Even though they mentioned that they both hire for university degrees and Mm. diploma, is it true that they're only looking for university graduates? (laughs) Or have Um... you seen diploma graduates in GovTech as well?
1: I think so. So we have even hired like high school students for internship. It's a lot about the portfolio actually, like you can demonstrate your skill to work on something. Like it's really about the skills and the portfolio. I don't know, like Gafet is very big as well. So it really depends on which, like a lot of the teams also manage their own hiring process. So you have to see which teams, but try and enter with a, good demonstration of your skills through portfolio. Like, even if you're a programmer, uh, like, you have coding projects, use that as a way to enter, like, product manager how have you worked on stuff how have you done your school project how have you taken initiative like demonstrate through doing through showcasing your work i don't think the paper part of things they they will check to make sure that you're not lying background checks Um, but i think i do see like people from police getting entering GovTech. so i'm not sure
0: I think it may be just timing sometimes and yeah. it may also just be the person who look at your CV. Sometimes it's not mm. the actual hiring manager. It might be mm-hmm. HR who decided, hey, actually, we got a lot of degree graduates. Huh? Hey, I, I Let's filter out all the polygrads. <laughs> it might be just yeah. because of that. Yeah. So I, I think usually as hiring managers, we we do look at the portfolio more than the specific qualification, which is a follow-on to another question. You know, like In this day and age, uh, is it necessary to have a master's in computer science or master's in human computer interaction just to be better?
1: My take on this is actually, if you've got the time and money, actually just like, okay, take a break from work, find some project that interests you, try and learn new, new ways of doing things. I think that could be more helpful because if you look at how causes are designed or causes are Especially long causes that takes years. Maybe like if it's something very that relies on like years of years of knowledge passed down from from our ancestors, then it makes sense. But like for technology, it keeps changing. Like this week is AI, next week is Metaverse. Like nobody is going to come up with causes so fast that that changes. Like tomorrow is blockchain. Like you just cannot be so fast. So like maybe once you hear all this new stuff and you just want to try out just start a new project try and find time and experiment with it you might get more things out of like waiting for a call spending a huge amount of money i'm not trying to this causes but like i feel like it's more uh, efficient use of time and money
0: I think definitely Ising, right, what really appeared to me is that you're a builder at heart, right? If you don't build things, you can't sit still. That has uh, definitely come out very strongly in this uh, yeah. particular interview. So a lot of companies are hiring back-end teams in India or China. Do you think all designers should learn how to code just to be competitive?
1: I think the answer is it depends on the type of things you want to design. And it depends on... The environment you are in as well. Like, is there a chance to do that? Like, so if you are in a bigger company and it's very compartmentalized. Then probably like the other complementary skills to do is like research and writing or even running workshops. Like there's so much to learn, like illustration, branding, uh, even uh, people skills, communication, um, leadership skills. There's just too much, way too much to learn. Then, then So it let your curiosity and your like, like gut to guide you. Then that's more sustainable because, like, if if you jump around here and there, it's also really hard to go in deeper. That's my sense. But I I, I do understand that decision fatigue and that overwhelming like imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, I don't know how to run workshop. What's the difference between this this design this tool and that tool and this framework and that framework? There's just too much to learn.
0: I mean, that's such a good piece of advice, especially considering like how fast tech moves and. The fact that, you know, like even in Singapore, we're also very competitive, like, oh, yeah, you know, like now AI is the new thing, right? Like, oh, everyone should, is trying to learn more about AI or trying to learn how to work with yeah. Chat GPT is quite inevitable. And but I, th- I think you made a point is about also managing that internal conversation within yourself on imposter syndrome mm. and also feeling like, hey, you know, what what am I strong at? What am I interested in? And developing that as you go along. Someone is asking a more technical question. So you work a lot with engineers and on the theme that we're talking about, the bridging between tech and design, do you have any tips or frameworks or processes for handing off your designs to developers?
1: So in order to like, there's many ways to, transi- to, to translate a, a vision to a build. And like my go-to way, the designer learning how to code, that one is just one of the ways. There are many, many other ways. For example, how do you advocate, how do you explain your design decisions in a way that like people understand and annotate your files or like have good documentation. So I think some of the tricks that worked was doing walkthroughs with my engineers. say this is how I use Figma and then help them set up because sometimes it's just like panel toggling or this is where you find this particular style or you can just copy the whole style and paste to them this is 100 200 300 400 just paste to them and they don't need to come into the file and look for it like those are already super helpful and then other things like Okay, keep telling them it's okay. If you think it doesn't work, please come back to me. We can discuss this, we can find a good way to like reconcile it. If you really want some control, maybe you learn HTML, CSS, then you can go in and tweak the words, the, the copywriting. You don't need to wait for a pull request or like a Jira task. And and those are really already like save a lot of time and communication.
0: Maybe let me just summar- summarize the three things mm. you said first. So you most recently said, hey, learn a little bit of coding, uh, including CSS and HTML, which is not too hard to pick up. At the same time being able to
1: true like do a walkthrough of Figma, yeah, do a walk-through just like, for them. Yeah, or like uh, send them some of the like pre predefined styles so that they mm. don't have to look for it. Yeah, I oh, think yes. the second
0: one you were saying is about
1: ask them to like have like open up the channels to talk like yes. really so
0: like communicating yeah. right. Really, really great three tips. Like any yeah. other uh, tips for developer handoffs, I often hear like, hey, you know, uh, when you do handoffs, you should have very detailed documentation. Is that your style or you like?
1: My file is messy. I only do the parts where it needs explaining. I try to put together... uh, I think the other thing that is helpful is like, if there is no time for meeting, recording a video... And do a walkthrough of your prototype is super helpful as well. Like, oh, this is what happens when I click. And then this is why I designed it this way, like a five-minute video that they can go and just go through. And then come back to me if you have any question we can discuss further. Like Or send this video before a check-in. A- and so like they can just watch it and, and try and think of questions that they have before that meeting.
0: Those are really really good advice and uh, I think it, it depends on your style as a person as well. I, mm. I know some designers are very detail-oriented yes, and then they document yes. everything. I think at the end of the day, it's about communication, right? You're working in a team, you're building a product together. Does the person understand the communi- what you're trying to communicate? And if they do, then of course, there's less uh, mistakes there's less breakdown it sounds like you're you ask your engineers to learn a bit more about Figma but you also take the effort to learn a bit of their language so it, it sounds like it kind of like bridges mm. things a lot better do you have any tips working with engineers in general because you know some people might feel like they are a little bit different from designers Mm. because we we look at things quite differently.
1: I think just as there are many types of designers and like designers with many different types of skills, there are many types of engineers with very different types of skills. So like you can have an engineer who is like super good at data, super good at backend, but like can't do CSS for hell. And same with designers, like there are those that are very good at thinking system or doing UI, but then like don't like talk to people. Like there is just a spectrum, just everyone. So I feel like teams when it comes to team a lot of time it's about trying to find that like what everyone is good at and try and leverage that as much as possible i also have uh instances where i work with engineers that initially i really cannot understand uh, and like they say cannot no matter what designs i put like cannot like why cannot that like bugs out of the motivation to learn code as well but it's also trying to understand why I cannot I keep asking questions like try and break that eye try and work with hey can you help me sell environment I try to change something like ask them for help to help you change some of the things then they, they see you breaking their stuff they are also super frustrated so like they will come back
0: really really good advice but also what you mentioned was, is something so common right like as yeah. a designer you say hey you want to do this cannot Generally, think generally when I work with engineers they are very very efficient right they say hey if it's, a, if it's not broken why go and fix it mm. <laughs> right mm. so that's kind of like their mentality and then they won't. some of them wouldn't, wouldn't want to like try extra things or do more work because that's really doesn't serve them well as well it takes time to build a relationship and mm. after that um, things get easier over time uh once you have that trust established do you do you like hang out with them uh after work I mean does that help? <laughs>
1: I think I've managed to form a great relationship with my PMs and and engineers because knowing a bit of what the other discipline and having that that background helped engineering so they understand the frustration of centering a diff is super difficult. And and, and if you can solve some of their problems, they are super happy with you. Like they don't need to care about CSS anymore. Some of them love that. But some of them, uh, I do meet, engineers who care a lot about users so they will go down to user testing with me so they are a gem you'll find all sorts of people like different type of people then you just have to find ways to like as a human being how can you communicate better with these different types of people it's got nothing to do with their like role or whatever. It's just more like communication style.
0: Soft skills are just as important as hard yeah. skills. Uh, don't just go and start learning about AI, but <laughs> also uh, work on your soft skills because your soft skills are the ones that are going to carry you forward, uh, especially as you go- get into leadership positions as well. Uh, certainly, that's something very helpful. I wonder if you have any general words of advice for junior designers or people trying to get into this tech industry?
1: I think one of the things that I would have like told myself when I was doing this earlier on was that there is a lot of these frameworks, a lot of these tools that you get overwhelmed by and you don't know why. And then you just like, I need to use it in my project or like, I need to show that I can use it. But it's understanding the why you're using it and go back to first principles that is quite important. Like, for example, different types of like design sprints or design thinking, or what's the difference between IDEO and like Stanford ones or like the five-day Google one, Google Ventures one? What's all the difference? And how can I use it in my work? And if you go down to why is there a workshop in the first place? What are you trying to get out of a workshop? A workshop, you can have different types of activities and the activities can, in a way, collect information from your participants or like you want them to choose to work on something or you want them to create and generate ideas and you want them to commit to an action plan like then you design around and then it doesn't matter what kind of tools you are using same thing for personas or like customer journey map or like I must use lean canvas I must use this canvas that canvas like really ask why you are using it is it I'm trying to communicate my findings in a way that like my stakeholders can understand then it might not be in a format of a persona it can be something else or like yeah just Laying them the information out in a digestible manner is already a good thing. So it's not about like how to the tea you're gonna fit all these different tools. It's very overwhelming and never ending because everyone will just keep coming. It's a marketing thing. Like if they market it properly, then you will be aware of it. Then people find this framework useful. But so there's a lot of all these things. How can you try and find what is useful out of them and then like try and be be sure of yourself in that sense.
0: As they say, I mean, there's this thing they call the shiny object syndrome, right? Whatever is like, (laughs) there's shiny, it's new, let's use it, you know? That's definitely something that a lot of people get distracted by, but uh, so little people, so few people actually go back to the fundamentals and ask the why, which I think this is really, really important as a designer, uh, returning back to first principles and really challenging everyone and to stay grounded which I think is the value of uh, doing evidence-based uh, design in general mm. uh so with that um super great advice uh and I think the audience loved what you have you've been sharing here tonight Isin. uh wish you all the best in your new role in uh, as you're starting your new role in March and what is the best way for people to connect with you is it LinkedIn
1: Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. You can just look for me or you can just ping me via email. My email address is on my website. So yeah, I will try my best to to reply.
0: I think in general, uh, Isin left a final comment like she has to credit a workshopper book that she she, uh, saw and uh, it mentioned a four-step process whereby you collect, you choose, you create and you commit. Uh, to the process. <laughs> so um, I'm sure there are a lot of different processes and a lot of different types of outputs, uh, maybe something worth discussing as, a, as an event or as a sharing in future. Uh, but with what you shared tonight, bridging technology and design, uh, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, as well as bridging our understanding between building for government versus building for commercial. Uh, applications and working for some of the top companies in Silicon Valley. Definitely wish you all the best in your career. If you'd like to check out more of Isin's work, uh, check out www.rtlope.com, which is A-R-T-Y-L-O-P-E.com. With that, uh, we shall end tonight's session. Thank you, Isin, for joining us.
1: Thanks, Daylan. Thanks, everyone, for joining.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please let me know what you think get in touch with me over email at mail at curiouscore.com. I would love to hear from you. Do also check out our previous interviews and other free resources at curiouscore.com. And until next time, I'll see you on the next episode. Take care and keep leaning into change.